3: LinkedIn, the place to be,
1: to be. Black Tech Green Money, Season 1, Episode 2. Brian Michael Cox is a music producer and songwriter responsible for more than 100 million album sales, 35 number one hits, and 12 Grammy nominations, including nine wins. He's been a friend of mine for more than twenty years, and I wanted to get his thoughts on the deep relationship between music and technology that many of us don't fully appreciate. Music producers today program computers. The best producers on the planet navigate Logic, Ableton, FL, and Pro Tools, which is
2: programming. I don't think we uh, we don't we don't correlate the two because we're being creative. And we use that as a tool, like oh, this is just our tool to create music, but it's literally programming. And the way that I view, like people who use FL, I view it kind of like how, kind of like how when I was coming up, right? When we was coming up in elementary school and middle school, you know, Steve Jobs did something very, very revolutionary, right? By you know, he knew that he couldn't really compete with corporate America at the time. You know, you know, IBM was was the was the standard, you know, Dell was the standard. These were the standard PCs in corporate America, right? So if you introduce Apple to corporate America, they, you know, there was some resistance. But what do you do? You say, okay, we're gonna raise up the next generation of computer users. So If we can't get into these big corporate offices and put our system to corporate offices, we put our systems to elementary schools and middle schools and high schools, you know what I mean? (laughs) So my first computer I ever worked on on a regular basis was an Apple IIe, you know, as a little kid, that keyboard, that Apple IIe keyboard is the same exact keyboard that we use right now on our MacBook Pros. You know what I mean? So what happens is that as the program, as a kid, like, my first computer I touched was an Apple IIe. So as they developed, and you get older, and you, and you go to different schools, you, you, you go from middle school to middle school to high school. By the time I got to high school, Macintoshes were at, at every high school that I, you know, that we, that I knew. So in my high school, I was using Macintoshes. So you graduate high school, and you know, my 12th grade year was when I, 11th grade year is when I first started using like music software. Apple, the only company that was really making. Software for music, you know what I mean?
1: Creative so, period,
2: yeah. So, so as a creative, I'm like, well, I'm using Apple. So to this day, as a 42 year old person who's been using it for 20 some years, all of to use Apple products. You know what I mean? It, it, it un, un, you know, unintentionally, or it might have been intentional on his part, but on our part, unintentionally, creating their own consumer. Right. Yeah. So FL is that same exact thing. Right. So think about this. Now I use app. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an Apple user. Right. But the average person in the corporate world, they're using PCs. Right. That's right. So if you have a PC and you're, and you, and you're in your corporate world and, um, 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 and you're my age, and you might have gotten married young or you might have you know a, a young child, 17, 18, you know, 15 years old you know, and the only computer at the house is a PC, and they want to make music. Well, FL was giving, it was free. FL used to be free. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying, when you, when you, back in the day, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, FL was free, it was a free download. So if your mom had a PC, and you couldn't afford a Mac, of course you couldn't get a Mac, because Mac was popping, you know? Yeah. $2,000 mom has computer already. I'm gonna download FL, and I'm gonna start making my little beats on FL. And people kind of shunned FL initially. Yeah,
1: I remember. Professionals. I remember.
2: You know, because it was a, it was like a game almost, like a video game, the way that we viewed it then, right? But what we didn't realize was happening is that they were basically building the future consumer. Now, yeah. all those kids that were making beats on FL 15 years ago are top 100 producers now. <laughs> FL is the number one doll, you know what I mean? in the business right now. And all these kids that are to do is program. A lot of our musicians. They just learn how to program and they still don't even understand that that's what they're doing. I think that the key is try to connect the dots and let people know like yo, you're a computer programmer too.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know what oh, yeah.
2: i So you could actually not just make beats and program, you can create this shit. You can create something. You can actually do something with this that's way bigger than what you even think you're doing.
1: I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're Black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. put him is partner at Gingerbread Capital, and her mission is to engage, educate, and elevate the next generation of successful women business leaders and investors. She holds an MBA in marketing and entrepreneurial management from the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and she earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and a certificate in finance from Princeton University. On term sheets? a three-episode video series which is available to watch in full on YouTube. I travel to New York City to meet either to discuss venture capital in New York City and what it takes to be a successful venture capitalist. Take a walk with me. So talk to me a little bit about, I've had these conversations with VCs on how to navigate and find your way into a VC role. And some would say, you know, you need to be a business student and find your way. Talk to me about how you think people's best path forward into finding a VC role looks today.
5: Sure, I mean, I can tell you my own path and then I can tell you kind of the historical paths that I've seen. Uh, There's kind of two main ways you come in from finance. Either you had an investment banking or consulting background and then you move over into that world of investing um, from the venture side. Or you're an ex-operator, and entrepreneur, uh, and then you move over f- from that perspective, having been an operator. So those are the two aspects. And I personally, I started my career in investment banking. I worked at Goldman Sachs uh, Analyst Program, so I did analyst and associate years at Goldman. But I didn't go into venture right out of after going into investment banking actually went to business school. You know, a lot of people do that, that path of thinking about what's next. Um, And so post-business school, I went and worked for American Express. I did the traditional big corporate job. Uh, And then I actually went to a smaller private equity-owned company. So I saw the difference between private equity, which is looking at later stage, much more established businesses, and venture capital, which is looking at the earlier stage. And I think for me, what kind of made the difference was that when you're going into private equity, these companies have been around for decades, maybe longer than that, that are being acquired and brought together. Venture is about the new and starting things at the beginning. And I think around the time when I made the decision that I wanted to leave traditional corporate America, I was reading all these articles that were saying things like, women don't want to be you know, CEOs. Women just want to create kind of lifestyle businesses and they are not looking to be at the top. They don't want to run the right. same race. And I was like, mm, those are not the women that I went to college with, worked at Goldman Sachs right. with, and just the women in my network. And I realized that I also saw a lot of women leaving traditional corporate and going out and either starting their own things. And that was the path I took. I literally left. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I took eight months off and I traveled. I was lucky that I had the kind of safety net to be able to do that. But it was during that course I went in, across Africa, Europe, the US, and I was talking to my female friends along the way. and. We were having similar conversations about, you know, we want our work to mean something, we want if we're leaving family or kids or all these kind of things, we want it to be worth something. And that's kind of what led me to start my own advisory company. So I decided, okay, I know what I want to focus on. I want to focus on women entrepreneurs, women investors, kind of galvanizing the community that's the contra of what I'm reading. And then i decided okay how am i going to do that do i want to join a startup or do i want to you know go do it on my own and i realized that consulting and doing advisory work was the best way for me to get in even though i did it in the back of my mind know that i wanted to do investing but you know i think i would argue that no woman ever has just been like you know maybe had i been a guy leaving goldman i would have been like i'm ready to launch that fund and i'll go launch the fund right, and possibly right. could have done it but it's very challenging back then and uh, even now for a woman to just kind of stand up and raise a fund. And you're seeing, there, it's exciting that more and more women are raising uh, venture capital funds but you're seeing that they're smaller relative to their male peers and the track record that they often have is much more extensive in having done it like by themselves before they yeah. started it. And so, you know, I was like, let me do it the way I feel comfortable and the way that I think that I could bring the most value. So. I used my network and I started working and taking on engagements for women founders that I knew were looking for help. And then, you know, women investors. I was in investment banking, we got paid well. And I knew guys that started making private investments when we were analysts Mm -hmm. associates. I knew none of my women friends, including some that are still there to this day, that had made a private investment. Now, that's strange. It's not, you know, sure there's pay gaps there too, but, you're starting off with a population that does have disposable income that they can use. Right. Men are using it, women are not. Why is that? So, I wanted to do something around that conversation of both women as entrepreneurs who wanted to start and lead big companies, and then women as investors who wanted to actually deploy capital for um, future gains. So, that was the finance perspective. But, like, you know, you asked the question about how do you get into venture capital? It is such a relationship driven industry, that you really have to be in the spaces where investors are to start building the relationships that will get you top of mind. So that when these job openings happen, it's not like investment banks, they do analyst classes. They hire in every year after college. You bring in 50, 100 into the firm at the same time. Most VCs are very small. They may have you know, one or two. Some like the Kleiners and Sequoias have larger partner bases. Yeah. But most of them are very small. And when the openings happen, they're filled by word of mouth. So you've got to get in the flow of where the word of mouth is happening so that you can be somebody that people think of when they want to say, oh, we're looking for a new investor. Do you know anybody, an analyst, associate that can come in and step in?
0: State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future.
6: Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N.
1: You you mentioned when you were reading those articles and they were saying women don't want to do X, Y, and Z, and you're saying, well, not the people that I grew up with. Do you think it's those stories and narratives reinforce to women that there is not a place for them in these seats yeah. and therefore those investment banker women don't invest because they don't see their stories being told
5: well i mean let's be clear like it, it wasn't the people i grew up with i mean i'm the child of immigrants i was actually born in nigeria we moved to the us when i was five and i grew up in southern virginia much more surrounded by you know Academics, my parent my father was a professor and we lived around the military bases. So I didn't know any VCs growing up. That like the thought never even crossed my mind that venture capital existed. I knew finance because my father was a professor of finance, but I didn't even know really about Wall Street till I got to college. And that's where you know, I went to Princeton for college and there was recruiting, there was heavy recruiting that would come on campus. And that's where I thought finance from the perspective of the application of it in the in Wall Street. But, you know, if you've never thought about it before, if it's not something that now I regularly interact with VCs, never would have crossed my mind that me at 18 going to college, that I would be a venture capitalist today, no. It it never even crossed my mind. But I had to be exposed to it. And I had to be exposed to I was lucky to be exposed to the full spectrum of it. I started my career at the opposite end, where every VC hopes that their portfolio company gets to, getting taken public by a company like Goldman, working with multinational, multi-billion-dollar companies. I got to see that aspect. And then I've actually gone backwards to go back to the beginning of where these companies are starting. And I think what did that for me was that I realized I loved the energy that comes from that Wall Street world but I love the relationships that comes mm-hmm. from the venture world because you're still at these early stages. These companies, these founders still want advice. They actually want to hear from their investors. They want to hear from their customers. Unlike, you know, when you're uh, a large multinational, you hear get the quarterly earnings call. <laughs> right. Maybe they'll take Q&A, maybe they won't. And it's just kind of until there's an activist investor that steps right. in that you really kind of hear anything. But in venture, it's you're in the trenches with them. They want you in the trenches with them, which I really love.
1: So I guess we made an assumption that pe- women do want to. Why should women consider venture investing, I guess, not even just venture, but investing as a mode of uh, something they should be involved in?
5: Yes. So, you know, building a diversified portfolio of assets and asset classes is important for anybody that's trying to build wealth and building, you know, not just, uh wealth to live on but like generational Generational wealth wealth, and when you look at where a lot of these new millionaires billionaires are coming out of yes there are ones that are doing you know the hedge funds and trading in the public markets but there are a lot more that have either built a company look at Mark Zuckerberg he started Facebook in college has stayed with it throughout and it's turned it into a multi-billion dollar entity that is going to transcend his lifetime his children's lifetime investors that went in at like $50,000 into Facebook were returned, I think several hundred million. So that kind of return, you don't necessarily get in the public markets the way you'll see when you start something from zero and watch it exit and stay through to the other side. So when we think about generational wealth, closing, income inequality, but it's hard because not everybody has the disposable income to be able to do this. And so I would also stress that You know, investing is incredibly risky. Most startups fail. Most investments will not succeed. They will either go directly to zero or maybe return you the money that you put in if you're lucky. But most, especially in the venture space, because it's so about high growth and building companies that you think will be the next multi-billion dollar kind of unicorns, that is a high-risk, high-reward proposition. So if you're thinking about being an investor, there's two paths, either you go as an individual and start investing your own personal capital, or you go into more of an institutional and join as an employee, uh, associate partner level to invest on behalf of other people's money. Yeah. Uh, and getting to th- those opportunities is really, it's, it's hard. And it's really about, you, you. they won't find you, you have to go find them.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in your take on um, the opportunities black women and black men, just black people in general, have with regards to starting companies, because so often we get pigeonholed into, well, you gotta start these types of companies, because that's how we think mm-hmm. of you, these stereotypical types of things. And not to say that there's anything bad with starting a company that is stereotypically- Yeah, mom and pop right. kind of a thing, yeah. So, but how do you think about the opportunities that might be available that we may not consider at large um, that we can play in those mm-hmm. those fields?
5: Well, I mean, the investing game and private markets and capitalism is about meeting the needs of unserved or untapped populations. So, you know, I think that black men, women, people in general, we have been underserved in a lot of different market opportunities. And we are also poised to be the people that can have solutions uh, to those market inefficiencies. What becomes challenging is when the people on the other side of the table have never experienced those, it's hard to invest in something that you literally never experienced or can't wrap your mind around. Or, you know, oftentimes there's the story of, you know, a VC will be like, I'll ask my wife if it's a woman sitting yeah. in front of him. Yeah. And if the wife, you know, I think Jen Hyman and Jenny flies talk about it from Rent the Runway at the beginning, they talk to investors and be like, my wife would never rent a dress, but she's not the target demographic, yeah. right? Yeah. Or yeah. But, you know, it's realizing that Sometimes just because it's not the target for you doesn't mean that it's not a huge population of people where it is a real problem. So, you know, I think there's absolutely so many problems and solutions that black founders can do. The next problem becomes being funded to be able to do Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. especially if your vision is not to do a mom and pop where you can maybe try to do bank loans or do, you know, small capital. Friends and family is a big thing. Friends and family around yeah. is a big thing of what yeah. launches, you know, early entrepreneurs. And we don't
1: always have that. And know, if you look yeah, around,
5: yeah. at friends and family, you know, I grew up in a very <laughs> in a middle class family right. of professors, yeah. but you know, my parents were not yeah. that ready to like. Nobody
1: was writing five thousand. Yeah, checks. I didn't have the yeah.
5: luxury of a president where you got a million dollars like yeah. startup right. to go do it. But it's when you don't have the friends and family, then how do you? It becomes daunting to think about how you even break through. And so, when you do break through, it's about the access. Um, Catherine Finney and uh, Digital Undivided—they've done Project Diane, looking specifically at Black and Brown women. And what is it, point oh oh six percent is going to Black women? And I mean that—you know—her. I think the first report was like the real unicorns are Black women because it's just so difficult. And somebody was like. It's statistically insignificant, but one of the portfolio companies in our, somebody said that to you know, um, one of our portfolio companies, and she's like, but I'm a person. I am significant. Right. I'm there yeah. because you know, with every single one that happens, it's bucking that number up and up. But when you're absolute and there's so few getting in there and there's so much other capital out there, it can feel overwhelming. So I think what's happening is more of the founders that are getting through to the other side are, I've seen, are reaching back to others to share how they did it. There's organizations like For for Women Looking at All Raise is doing some great work trying to get women entrepreneurs and women investors, more women seated in positions of partner-level roles where you're the check writer. Uh, we are going to attack it on multiple fronts. At Gingerbread Capital, we've taken the approach of attacking it at multiple fronts specifically looking at women entrepreneurs. So we do direct investments in women entrepreneurs, and then we believe that it's also important to get capital in the hands of women investors, and so we're limited partners, we're LPs in funds that are backed by majority women uh, GPs. So for us, we think that if we get it at both sides, hopefully that needle will move because the, the funding is being diversified on both ends.
3: the place to
1: be to be who is best positioned then to take these seats that you talk about in the firms because when you talk when you think about i'm a black and black male or female founder and i'm going to afrotech and i see oh there's either walking down the hall you probably have 200 people following you because you are the one mm-hmm. who know you look like them mm-hmm. and you can get what they're trying to build mm-hmm. and when there's so few idas and Richard Kirby's and Asia Leaks and et cetera, all the attention goes mm-hmm. to a handful of VCs who can only write so many checks, who can only engage with so many entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So who out there, black women, black men, should be considering or should be at least taking a second look at venture roles mm-hmm. or investing in startups that may not be today?
5: Yeah, well, I think if becoming an investor is something that it's important to you, you have to you have to start now to build a personal brand in the space and to have a point of view. And so that doesn't mean necessarily writing checks, but there are, especially in New York, which I love being a VC in New York. I now get to go to both coasts a lot more. I appreciate so much the New York market because we physically sit on top of each other. Like we are across eight miles. We can get from, you know, we can start out in Brooklyn and have a meeting in Manhattan and go up to Harlem all in the same night all in the same day, that really isn't happening on the West Coast. And I go and see it. If you're in SF or you're out on the peninsula, people are like, oh, that thing is out there. Oh, no. And in LA, it's the same thing. It's very neighborhood specific. Uh, And I think our just general size of us and the infrastructure that we can use subways and move through relatively easy has made the New York market more uh, advantageous. And I would say it's a great market for women and it's a great market for people of color also because there's more than one industry exists in New York. More than one type of people lives in New York, and we've seen there's finance, there's fashion, there's retail, there's lots of different things converge in this market, and there's great gender dynamics and diversity in this city by the nature of, again, we're all being on top of each other, which means that the likelihood of seeing more people that look different is increased in a population where it's so concentrated uh, and where people live and work. So, you know, From the perspective of breaking in, in New York, there's so many like meetup groups and text, there's so many different organizations that are located not that far away from each other. And Silicon, what do we call it in New York, Silicon Alley. That's right. Yeah. Like you can just walk down 20 blocks and they're all based in like a 20 block radius. So I would say the great thing is a lot of VCs talk on either like Instagram or Twitter, Follow the ones in the New York market. If you're a New York-based investor, follow them, and they'll talk about where they're speaking at. They do a lot of speaking engagements. Go to see where they're speaking at. Go to the things that their uh, pitch competition judges at. That's where you start seeing and meeting other people that are in that ecosystem. And you must build relationships. That is key. No matter what, you have to put yourself out there. Maybe uncomfortable, but you have to put yourself out there to start, you know, forming right. those connections.
1: So let's take. Me back to 17, the 22-year-old Ida. Oh, yeah. Oh, the pre-med, the doctor that
5: is not (laughs) in front of you today?
1: But let's say you were intentionally trying to be what you are today. Mm -hmm. And for those girls out there who do want to do what you do and are earlier in their career, Mm -hmm. what would you have done intentionally to get to where you are today?
5: One of the things that I even noticed looking at my college that's different now, there are a lot more resources happening on campuses of talking about entrepreneurship and talking about different paths that are not, you know, traditionally it was like, you know, you go to banking, you go to a major corporate, you go to consulting, where the paths out of, you know, my undergrad was kind of it. But now there are people who are starting to do classes in entrepreneurship, there are clubs around it, there are business, there are pitch competitions that are happening at the undergraduate level. So. First of all, I would say, look within your student body. You know, when you get to college, if this is something on your mind, like, you know, there's clubs, there's, there's people. I, I think about my business school class. Warby Parker guys came out of my business school class. They didn't know each other coming in, but they spent those two years, they built those relationships, they brought wow. what each of their skill set is, and they launched it spring semester of second year. And You know, we're 10 years, we're about to have our 10 year anniversary make take full advantage college business school are those like years where you step aside and you get to be you know you get to be really thinking about yourself because you're in that school bubble especially full-time programs so that's when i would say really really use the advantage of getting to know the other students in your class and finding out i love i personally love taking and i wish i'd taken more of these before there's all these kind of strengths tests yeah, There's, yeah. Um, I I love the Clifton strengths. It's okay. uh, like the Myers-Briggs. I yeah, didn't take that. Right, and, yeah. I think I'm INTJ or P. Oh, I'm INTP. <laughs> so. yeah. There you go. Uh, and I love taking those things. Right. I still take them right. all the time. And then, so find out, I like to build towards my strengths. Find out where you think you're really strong and then find the people that build out around that because that's where the best teams are. You've got somebody that's bringing a different thing to the table uh, and then you can move that forward. And then internships. In college is also a great time to be able to get paid, unpaid internships. Sometimes you can get things for credit Use college business school as that time to take the risk and take the jump out on the leap and uh, go intern for a company or even maybe try something you know entrepreneurial over a summer. You you if you can. But I also recognize that you know you you need money to live right, and you right, need right. like college isn't just unless you know you're lucky you right. get a full ride. You have to do all those things. But where there is the ability to align what you do and what your you. Get paid for it, if possible, uh, to help you build just the building blocks. It doesn't have to be you have that killer idea overnight. Giving yourself experiences where you test, am I a strength at finance? Am I more of a strength in uh, computer science, which is now becoming one of the most popular degrees? I think if I went back, I was a psych major with a certificate in finance. I might have been a computer science major with a certificate in finance. I actually love, and my psychology degree comes in very handy because... All venture is, people. is relationships. Yeah, yeah. Relationships of how to get the most out of your founders, relationships of how to uh, form the connections that get access and get you the foot in the room to get the one that they'll take your check versus somebody else. So maybe I would have been a triple major, <laughs> a double major and a minor. But um, I do think that, that's, uh, that having that kind of background was good. So what is
1: your typical experience like being a black woman in venture capital when you find yourself in rooms that you're the only mm-hmm. black person period. Yeah. Right? And talk to me about what it's like just day in and day out living this life.
5: Well, I think it started from, you know, my first job, right? I went into Wall Street. I went into, you know, financing in a trading floor setting where there were very few women. We had five women traders on a floor of, you know, lots more than that. Uh, and there were very few black people. So I have gotten used to, I I don't necessarily notice it anywhere, but you always notice it when you're the only in the room. But I choose to see that as an advantage, you know? I have a very, uh, my full name is very gender neutral, so people sometimes, if they haven't looked me up in advance, they don't know who's going to walk through the door. I've gotten, are you Greek? Are you Japanese? And then I show up. Oh, my God. But use that as a thing. People don't forget you yeah. when you're the only one. So don't feel... I've stopped feeling that's bad cool. about it. I choose to see it that people always remember me. That's they might cool. not be able to remember my name, but they'll be like, that, there was this woman. Just like, Yeah, but you, can, you stand out. So use that to your advantage because that's when... There's a lot of, you know, people that are the hoodie-wearing white man or all those kind of things, a lot less people that look like that's us right. in a that's room. Right. So right. use that to your advantage. And then when you, when you get that opportunity, make it count. Make it count by being prepared in terms of understanding who's in the room. Be prepared to target your message to who's in the room. The same pitch as a founder isn't going to work for everyone. If you're a woman and you know that you're t- pitching something that's a female product, do what, you know, like Jen and Jenny did to get through to the male investors and say, ask that same wife how many uh, events she goes to and how many outfits she's bought and quantify it. You've seen the credit card receipts right. and turn it into a way that resonates for that person. And then you will see you can then bring them over to the other side. You're not going to drive a winning argument by just only using your point of view it has to resonate for the person on the other side who is in the position of power. If it's the money, their money that you want. Um, so use that, use the fact that you're unique, use the fact that you understand who's in that room and how they think, and then quickly follow up. If they ask you to follow up and say, Hey, I would love, you know, to take a call, send me some materials. Don't spend a week and a half making the perfect set of materials, put together 15 slides or less and send it over quickly so that you keep that momentum going, because they're going to be inundated and they want to have you fresh in their mind. So quick follow-up, short follow-up and answering the questions that were asked and then turning it into making it um, really feel like it's about building that relationship with that person over a long term. You're not going to get funded in one conversation. Getting capital in venture space takes time and it takes relationship building. So don't think it's like, it's gonna happen in a week. It might take, it might happen, but it, chances are, it's months that you're looking at it.
1: Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech I'm the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Blue Lucas. With additional production support by Love Beach and Bruce Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakara Savanyan. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at Afrotech.com. The video version of this episode is on YouTube right now, so tap in. Enjoy your Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love.
6: More info now.